You're listening to the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast, where we focus on taking your passion and turning it into your profits. Join us for interviews with business experts, industry influencers, and more. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Next Generation Cheer and Gymnastics Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today we are going to be talking about staff compensation and the industry standard. Uh, I hope you are having a wonderful day as you are listening to this. We just got back from conference this last week. Uh, This is our Saturday episode, a week after conference, and I'm excited to be getting back to uh, recording episodes and just kind of getting back in the swing of things. Before we get into the episode, make sure if you are a gym owner, you've gone over and you've joined uh, next, the Next Gen Owners Facebook group, you've gone to our website and you've subscribed to our blog. Uh, take advantage of booking a call with one of our coaches if you could use some advice. You can always reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook. It's just Dan Cotton uh, on Facebook and you will, you'll find me. I'm, I'm a bald guy wearing a suit. Uh, you can always email me at dan at nextgenowners.com if you uh, love the episodes or if you'd like to hear something specific talked about. Um, but make sure you've done all of those things. And if you are a coach, head over to our all-star cheer and gymnastics owners and coaches, our all-star cheer uh, coaches and owners uh, Facebook group. There is a ton of great content there as well, where we discuss all things related to cheerleading uh, and kind of cut through some of the extraneous conversations. We just really are there to help one another um, in that group. So make sure you've gone over to that group as well and joined it. Uh, And with that, let's get into the episode. So earlier today, I had actually had hopped on Facebook really quick in the morning, and I saw a post on another Facebook group with someone's opinion on paying coaches what they're worth. And I read through their whole post, and I read uh, a lot of the comments on the post. And I'm not going to sit here and and point and counterpoint uh, their post because they're not here to defend their position. And that would not be a a fair approach. But I do feel there is immense value in discussing staff pay, staff compensation, uh, paying employees what they are worth, and what the industry standard is, and how that may not be the best approach to follow. So the big three things that we're going to be talking about in this episode are, number one, what should an employee's net benefits be working within your gym? Two, what should coaches make their living off of private lessons? And three, what should you pay your coaches for competitions? These are probably the three most common things discussed by gym owners and widely discussed across the industry. And uh, some of them were referenced in this post and were talked about in some of the comments. So I think they're worth breaking down and, um, debunking. And I'm just going to give you my opinion on some of those things. At the end of the day, the stuff that I'm telling you is my opinion. It is also what we've learned through coaching numerous businesses from around the United States, Canada, the UK, Australia. This is what we're helping our our business owners learn about and structure. So I, I have a lot of experience to back this stuff up. I'm not just pulling from my one anecdotal experience within my gym although that is where the bulk of information initially started. So what should your net employee benefits be? What all should they be getting working for you? So the first thing is 
uh, is in terms of pay, right? Paying employees what they're worth was the assertion in this uh, in this post. And there's a number of ways to look at that. Should your employees be paid hourly or should they be paid salary? Well, there are a lot of considerations to make there. When you are paying someone hourly, are you um, are you getting the most bang for your buck? Or do you have higher expectations for them that go beyond the hourly employee? So me personally, uh, and we've done this both ways. I don't think that the average cheer coach for an all-star cheer team, most of the all-star cheer coaches out there really are not performing the duties of the standard hourly employee. Uh, it is not the basic check-in, check-out job. Uh, where there are definitely hours that you are working, that you are expected to be engaged in work, uh, where you are not necessarily in your normal shift, your normal working hours. Which is why, especially for anyone who is kind of in a head coaching role, someone who is going to have to answer parent phone calls, respond to text messages, write emails, do those things in their non-normal working hours, it might be better to put that person on a salary that is commensurate to the amount of time you expect them to work. Because if you're simply paying them, you know, $9 an hour, which is not remotely what our minimum wage is, but let's say you're paying them a minimum wage just for the hours they're at the gym, is that really fair to then expect them to do all of the things you may be expecting them to do outside of the gym? So it may make more sense to look at a salaried position or set it up so they can submit the hours that they're working outside the gym. The risk of that is that then they can work a bunch of extra hours and it makes it very hard for you as an owner to budget and make sure that your staffing is staying within the correct budget because they can willy-nilly say, well, I decided to watch cheerleading videos for five hours and that was me working and therefore you need to pay me as opposed to they chose to watch cheerleading videos for five hours because they love cheerleading. Is there a mutual benefit? Yes. But at any other job, if I choose to do things relevant to my job and I'm an hourly employee, I don't get to then go to my job and say, well, I watched a YouTube video on how to make this dish and I'm a cook. And so that was there, me working because it benefits you. Uh, that's not really how it works. So you need to make sure that you are setting things up correctly when it comes to your coaches. Now, a tumbling coach who just is coaching your recreational side of classes and they come in and they coach their three classes and then they get to leave, that might be a better employee to pay an hourly wage. They're getting paid for the time that they are there. There's not a high expectation of work outside of the gym beyond maybe an occasional like response to, hey, we have you scheduled for this or hey, can you come in and work? Um, and so an hourly employee might work better there. Or if you have all-star coaches who maybe are assistant coaches, who do not have the level of expectations the other coach does, they're not having to respond to all those text messages and do those extra things, uh, it might make more sense to make them an hourly employee. This is something you have to assess for your business. It is not a one-size-fits-all approach. What else should you be looking at as you determine an employee's worth? So you need to look at what is their ability to generate revenue for a business. On average, an employee should generate anywhere from five to 10 times what their pay is for a business. Now, as an employee, it's easy to go, well, gosh, that seems uh, upside down. That's what it takes to run a company. There are all sorts of overhead that an employee doesn't have to worry about. An employee doesn't have to worry about paying the rent. 
an employee doesn't have to worry about paying at their salaries or at their payroll. That's not in their concern, but their concern is making sure the business is healthy and the business is making money. So are they bringing in revenue for the business? If they're not, they're really not a, a helpful employee. They're actually a drain on the resources because they're not bringing in revenue. So you have to assess an employee's ability to bring in revenue. This is why if you listen to my front desk employee episode, I told you that a front desk employee, someone who is a sales associate to work at the front, can actually be one of your highest return on investment employees because they will increase your billing and your, your billables. You will actually get more money coming in because you have someone dedicated to collecting that that isn't just the owner. You'll have someone who's making sure that people are registered for classes when they show up and they're not just jumping in a class when they haven't paid that month. There is a lot of return on that. They can sell things at the front. It is harder to measure the return on a all-star coach. It is harder to measure that return. And the question being, are people coming for that coach or are people coming for your brand? And hopefully, if you've set up your gym correctly, people are coming for the brand. Now, as an owner, it's possible if you're a very active owner, people are coming to that gym because you are a big part of the brand. The brand. Um, I would say that's, that's actually where my gym currently is. There are a lot of people that come to our gym because Tori and I coach the teams and we are actively engaged. So we're a part of that brand. But they also come to our gym because... It is our gym and our brand and our culture has permeated across all teams. So it is not all about us being the coaches. And there are a number of very popular programs that uh, big name programs that it is not all about the owner now coaching. Um, people don't expect to be coached by the owner of California All-Stars when they are at every single location. Now, each location may have their kind of flagship, somewhat famous coaches that people know who they are. But that's not the be-all, end-all. There are teams at every level that aren't always coached by those coaches. So how do you measure that? How do you measure a coach's value? Well, I would tell you from a business perspective, you measure it based off of retention and lack of additional work they create for the company. On top of that, are there athletes taking additional classes? Are they athletes who are excited to be a part of the program? Are they bringing in new athletes? Are they happy clients or are they just clients who win at competitions, but they hate their lives? Those are some things that you need to assess. If you have a low retention year to year, or you're not building your program year to year with those coaches, then they may not actually be benefiting your program the way they think they are. And so that is an assessment that you need to make as an owner in determining someone's value. And if someone brings in value to the business, and I'm talking, they bring in revenue to the business then they are absolutely worth um, compensating uh, in a, a fair and even aggressive way because there are other companies that may offer them more money. You also need to look at what is their responsibility? Are they a manager? Are they a director? Do they have to see, oversee multiple teams? Do they oversee your all-star program? Do they oversee your tumbling program? What is their role within the company? With additional responsibility should come additional wages, should come additional pay. And that is something that you need to be assessing as you're assessing someone's value. So I have employees in my business that if they quit, it's inconvenient, but it is not business ending, uh, not even remotely. It, it is barely a blip in the radar. I just hire someone else or move someone else into the role that they were filling. Concurrently, or vice versa, I have employees that if they leave, there is a massive void in my company, and now I'm left um, 
I'm left missing out. I have a huge hole to fill and I will potentially lose revenue simply because that person isn't there because they're not able to execute the things that I needed them to execute. So you have to look at the responsibilities that someone has and their, how integral they are to your company. Uh, unfortunately, the reality is, is that good coaches are hard to find. Um, good coaches are hard to find, but coaches are not impossible to find. Uh, now, it, depend, it depends on your demographic. It may be harder in certain areas, but uh, there are lots of great coaches out there. They are hard to find and they are hard to get committed to a program. But people who are motivated and willing to learn exist. People who want to uh, do this job do exist and they, those things can be trained. So you can take it with a grain of salt, especially when you're talking about like class coaches, people who are teaching tumbling classes, unless you're talking elite levels, like above level three, um, I can train just about anyone who was an athlete, how to coach tumbling up to and through level two easily within a couple months, I can train them how to run a level two class. Now to get to higher levels, I might need more time to get to elite levels, it's gonna take even more time to get someone to that, that, that level of knowledge. But what is that knowledge worth? And is it worth what you're compensating them? I am not sitting here saying underpay your coaches. In fact, I think that we in this industry, if we talk about the industry standard, the industry standard is a bad one. And it is to, generally speaking, underpay your coaches. But I think that is a trickle-down effect, and I'll talk about why that happens. Uh, it is also an effort or uh, a tendency to not treat this industry, this profession, like an actual profession. It's treated like a hobby and like uh, something that people just do casually. And it, people don't do it for a career. And that is part of the reason you get a lack of commitment, you get a lack of dedication. And people, when they're compensated in a manner that shows you're not valuable, then it makes people less likely to invest. So you need to be looking at your compensation. If you don't have a raise and compensation like system within your business, you should. You should have a system for how people qualify for raises, when they are assessed for raises, um, and what it is that you're looking for. And you need to build that for your own company. Um, you also need to look at, in terms of net benefits, what are other things that your employees are getting for working for you? Do they get paid time off? Do they get PTO, paid vacation, like any other normal job? Do they get paid sick time? Do they get a retirement contribution? Do they have health insurance? Those are all add-ons that you should be looking at providing, especially to your employees who have higher responsibility, your full-time employees, people who are working 30 plus hours a week. You should be uh, helping them in that manner because it's you can't have a career without health insurance. Like any other real career, you get health insurance, you get retirement, you have 401k, things like that. And those are things that you can stand up in your company if you have not already. You should. If you're someone who is not contributing much to yourself as an owner, go start a retirement program through your business and have your business contribute to your retirement. One of the things we do really horribly in this industry, the industry standard, is we act like we're all going to work until we die. And we don't plan for retirement. We don't have uh, Roth IRAs or 401ks. We're not doing those things to put money away. And you can do some of this stuff pre-tax. And your employees need to contribute as well. You're not just building their retirement. You can only contribute a certain percentage, but have your employees have that opportunity. 
I get really frustrated that more of my employees don't take advantage of my retirement opportunities that we offer through our program because it's, I'm literally like, you guys, this is free money, but they choose not to do it because they won't commit their own money to contributing. And so they say, well, we're just going to not do it, but they need to. If you can get your 18 year old coaches to start investing in their future, in their retirement, they will have legitimately with a very small contribution potentially millions more dollars than someone who starts saving the same amount 10 years later. So help those employees set that up for them. If you care about these people, which I know that most gym owners care about their staff, they actually do. Uh, Gym owners stay up at night thinking about their staff, wanting their staff to be happy. Yes, there are bad gym owners out there, but the majority are, are good hearted people who want to provide for their gym. They want to provide for their staff. They want to provide for their clients and you're carrying that stress with you. So these are ways that you can uh, give them benefits. Additionally, any of these benefits, all of these things should be laid out in an employee agreement and a position agreement. Like you should have employment agreements and it should cover the next two things, the private lessons and the competition pay that I'm going to talk about. It should be listed out in the employment agreement. So everyone knows what they're getting paid. Because employees feel bad when they feel they're being taken advantage of and they were deceived. And employers feel bad when they feel they're being taken advantage of and not getting what they thought they were going to get for paying an employee. So having those employment agreements sets the standard and makes it very clear of what the expectation is. So if you don't already have employment agreements and position agreements, then that is something that you need to work on. And that's something that we work with our clients on in next gen and help them build and help them put together using templates and advice. So there it's totally doable. Uh, you, it is a freeing experience. Discipline will give you freedom in this manner. All right, moving to number two, should coaches make their living off of private lessons? So this is the industry standard. Uh, it is the industry standard that coaches do private lessons. They get paid, uh, they get paid directly or they get paid a really high amount and they give the gym a very small amount. Um, And it's like, this is the perk for working here is you get to keep your private lessons. This 100% should not be the industry standard. And I know if you're a coach and you're listening to this, you're probably saying, F you, Dan, you only care about the business. And that's not true. Um, I actually do care about the coaches, but I also, it's my job to care about the business because if the business doesn't exist, the coaches don't have a place to do private lessons. So I, they don't have a place to earn a salary. The kids don't have a place to train. So this is the industry standard and it is wrong. In my opinion, it is 100% wrong. Uh, there are no next gen owners that do it this way. All the next gen coaches, uh, do not do it that way. And I come from the position of, I, I've done it that way. And it was the wrong way uh, for so many different reasons. Number one, let's just talk about the fact that it's most of the time very illegal. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the details on that. I'm actually going to be bringing Matthew Becker back on the podcast later this month. And we are actually going to talk the legal considerations and legal ramifications of coaches running private lessons in your business and getting paid directly um, or keeping all of the money uh, and the, the risks that uh, that has from a legal perspective and, and the illegality of it. Um, because the industry standard is illegal the way it is set up. Um, it is not legally done. And you as a business are exposed to a tremendous amount of employment liability and risk liability. 
Additionally, most insurance companies are not going to cover that as a liability. So if an athlete gets injured during a private lesson, if you say, well, my coach was operating as an independent contractor and they were getting paid directly, most insurance companies are going to say, well, then it's not covered. And then that employee is stuck holding the bag. And then the gym is stuck holding the bag because you can still get sued. Your insurance is just going to indemnify themselves from that lawsuit. So you want to be very careful in that manner as well, because it's not running through the company. Additionally, there is a significant tax liability there because most staff members are not responsible enough to set money aside for uh, paying their taxes on that. And if they're making the bulk of their money through direct payments, they are potentially committing tax fraud. And if they get audited or they get themselves into a bad position, that's going to really, really hurt them. And it is partially your job, just like a parent, to protect your employees from bad decisions and I believe that this is an industry standard that exposes our employees to tremendous risk for, yes, a financial award, a reward, but there is, a, there is ways to work around that. It is also incredibly unhealthy to the coaches because in order to make their living, they have to constantly be hustling and side hustling and getting new athletes in their private lessons and booking packages and working more on top of the hours that you already have them scheduled. So if you already have a coach who's working 20 to 30 hours a week, and then in order to make a living, they have to work another 20 to 30 hours a week coaching private lessons, they're going to burn out. It's not healthy for them. And this is how you get coaches who are short with athletes and frustrated and angry and not happy because they're not being, they're not treating themselves right because they're trying to make a living doing this career as opposed to being able to come to your job, do your job, and then have your off time, which is already so precious in this industry. Uh, a coach having to constantly hustle for private lessons um, is, is an unhealthy approach. I already mentioned that there are a bunch of liability risks. This also incentivizes the wrong things with your staff. So from a business perspective, if I tell my employees, hey, you can make uh, X amount of dollars working hourly for me, coaching tumbling classes, or you can make quadruple that working in my business, but not giving my business any money or giving me a $5 rental fee, which is a joke, um, and running your private lessons through there, then any right-minded person would be like, well, that's a better investment of my time. If I spend my time doing that, I will make more money. So why would I work for less like it incentivizes the wrong things when you have it run that way. So it is also just a bad business practice because we're training our coaches to want to only do private lessons. And this is where I talk to gym owners who say, I can't get my staff to work classes and I need classes to make revenue to pay the rent because I can't afford it right now. We're too low on numbers, but I can't get anyone to staff the classes, but my staff won't staff the classes because they say it conflicts with their private lessons of which they keep 100% of the proceeds or 95% of the proceeds. It is not from a business perspective, a good move. There is really no, there's not a lot of industries out there that function this way. Certainly not a lot of successful industries that function this way, where you have, have employees coming in like, I'll just use the restaurant for an example because it's an easy one, right? If you have an employee who is working at a restaurant and they're a chef and they come in and they are, they're a cook and they're making food uh, for the business, 
but they go, well, but if I bring in people, I get to use the kitchen, I get to use all the tools, I get to use everything here that has been bought by the business, but then I get to run my own side business and I make all of the revenue from each plate that is sold instead of that being split to hostesses and other people who are involved in the process. Like at your gym, there are other people involved. There's a front desk, there's there's lights, there's ele- uh, electricity, there is heat or air conditioning, there is mat use. There is all sorts of things that go on to make a business run. And I will tell you, my electric bill is more than $5 um, for the hour of time you're doing a private lesson. Like just the amount, just having the lights on and the business running costs me more than $5. So um, that's not a really efficient uh, transaction there. From a business perspective, it does not make sense. What does make sense is to pay your employees a real wage, a fair wage, and they work what they work. And if they are working a semi-private lesson or they're coaching a class, they still get paid. And if you want to give them a little bit more money for a private lesson, that's fine. I personally think it's a little bit crazy because private lessons are easy. I've coached thousands upon thousands of private lessons. A private lesson is easier than coaching a 10-person class. It is an easier task because I just have to focus on the one or two athletes. If I'm running a semi-private or three, as I become a more skilled instructor, I can do a semi-private with three people and they get a lot out of it still. Um, but you can like, they're easy and that's why coaches like them and like charging a bunch of money. But the whole concept of charging more money is because you're limiting that person has limited hours and they're dedicating their limited hours to a specific individual or group, small group of individuals which means that they can't bring in other revenue for the business or other revenue for themselves. So you have to pay a higher rate. Um, but that doesn't make sense if the money is not flowing through the business. And again, that's just from a logic perspective. We're not even talking the legality perspective, which we'll talk about on another episode. So again, coaches, I'm sorry that you do, you probably don't like what I'm saying. But at the on the flip side, I want you to hear me. I'm telling your owners that this should they should take the liability off of you. They should still use you to teach private lessons because they are a valuable thing. They should have more revenue come into the business and therefore should pay you a lot more. Is it going to be the same? No, but you're going to have stability. You're going to have reliability. Yes, there are months where you can hustle and make a ton of money in private lessons, but then you have those down months, right? You have those months like the holidays where kids are traveling and half of your privates cancel or summertime where you don't get as many, but then you have your pre tryout times where you can make a ton of money because every kid needs to get their back handspring a week before tryouts. So yes, you have your ups, but you also have your downs. Wouldn't you rather have consistency so you can actually set a budget and you can actually make a fair living. So that is what I'm, I'm proposing is I'm proposing more revenue to come in through the business, but that, that then feeds you as an employee. If there is a healthy business that makes more money, there should be healthy employees making more money. If it is upside down and the business is making a lot more money and the employees are getting less or getting not getting raises, then that is wrong. And that is something that you as an employer need to be fixing. So those are some things that we talk to our coaches about, but you should be doing right by your employees. That said, I believe that allowing your having your employees make their living off of private lessons is not doing right by your employees or by the business. It's hurting everyone. The third one is what should you pay your coaches for competitions? This gets talked about frequently. It's one of the most common questions that gets asked in our gym owners groups. You know, how do you pay coaches for competitions? 
And I would say the industry standard is not a great one. Uh, you know, I came up in an era as a coach where I paid to go to competitions. I didn't get paid by my gym. And in order to fly somewhere, in order to go to an away competition, I had to buy my own plate ticket and pay for my hotel, which is crazy because I was a college student and I really didn't have very much money, but I did it because I loved coaching and I loved my kids and it was worth it. Now, do I think that that was right? No. Do I regret doing it? No. Do I think that my gym owner had any ill will in the matter? No. We were a tiny micro gym, a family gym that we... We weren't doing right. We weren't doing the right things from a business perspective. So we weren't as profitable as we should have been. You know, we had athletes that owed money and those kind of things. And so it created problems for us. So what should you be paying your coaches for competitions if you're doing it the right way? Well, number one, you have to figure out what do you expect from them? Do you expect your coaches to only show up and go to the warm-up room? Like, hey, this is your warm-up room time. Be there until your team gets off the mat and then you get to leave. If that's not what you you expect of them, then you need to factor in how many hours it is that they're expected to be there and expected to be working. And from there, you need to backwards plan, you know, how many hours is that in a day and figure out how much you're going to pay them per hour. Now, are you expecting your coaches to do scoring challenges? Are you expecting your coaches to manage their team and supervising their team and doing those things? If you are, you need to pay them and you certainly need to pay them more than a $50 a day per diem. Now, did I do it that way at one point in time? Yes. Can you set a per day, hey, you make $75 a day or $100 a day? Sure, you certainly can, but there should also be a hourly uh, expectation there of, hey, you're going to get $100 per day and that equals a maximum of this many hours. And if you go over that many hours due to the competition schedule, then you get paid more you get to you get paid at your hourly rate or you can make it so it's at our at minimum wage there are ways that you can set that up um, which you would need to talk to your attorney about but you want to lay those things out clearly if you have high expectations for your coaches on competition days then you should compensate them on top of that you need to cover all of their travel their hotel their airport parking if you want to allow it now you can say you're expected to carpool to the airport and you can meet us here and we'll cart we'll bring you there um you know there or reimburse them for their uber they don't get to just choose their own adventure right if they say well we're going to a two-day overnight event and we're flying so i'm bringing a giant checked bag and i need you to pay for that well you probably could have packed in a carry-on um so you don't need that much stuff. Now, maybe you do. Maybe you have the expectation that they dress up every day and your girls are going to need three pairs of shoes and they're going to need multiple dresses and all their makeup and all that stuff. And you might need a checked bag. Maybe you have a gym checked bag. Those are some things that you can consider. But overall, you shouldn't be nickel and diming your coaches. And when you are, they're going to feel like they're being taken advantage of or like you don't value them. So set those things out clearly ahead of time. Now, do you have to pay them for their meals while they're gone? Very state by state. Generally speaking, you would have to eat if you were working or not working. So work is not necessarily expected to pay you for your meals, although it is a nice thing to do to cover meals for your staff, give them some sort of a food stipend. Now, a food stipend is not payroll. If you say, here is your food stipend, I'm giving you $100 for this weekend for, uh, for food, that also can't then be conflated to payroll. Again, these are all kind of complex concepts that need to go through legal verification and each state is a little bit different in what the state law is and it always defaults to your state law 
versus the state law that you of the state that you are in. Um, some things are just kind of across the board. Like uh, if you're if you have an employee driving to a competition and they're driving during their normal work hours, then you have to compensate them for their normal work hours. But that doesn't count for any passenger in the car. So it's just the person driving who's working. The passengers are just sitting, and so they could theoretically be asleep, which means you don't necessarily have to pay them. Um, on most states. So these are all things you need to consult your attorney on, and then you need to draft a very good employment agreement so you are clear with your coaches. Um, you also cannot, per federal law, you can't have your employees go to a competition and pay them anything less than what federal minimum wage is, and really your state, it's going to be based off your state. You can't pay them, expect them to work a certain number of hours and then pay them less than the minimum wage. You have to be on equal with that or else you do expose yourself to a little liability. So again, make sure you're talking to your attorney. You need to consult your attorney. Uh, if you need an attorney, jimlawyers.com, he's the best. He is now who I go to for some of these questions and contract law. Um, can do a great job. He cannot represent you in your state, but he can definitely give you advice on a lot of these things. And if he can't answer your question, he can refer you to an attorney, a local attorney who can answer those questions. So Matthew Becker, gymlawyers.com is the man. He's who I go to for all of these questions. Again, to reiterate, pay your coaches in accordance with what you expect of them. Generally speaking, you should be paying them fairly, like at least their hourly rate wage for the hours that they are working at a competition. You can't just be like, well, it's a competition day. Unless you're telling them they don't have to be there and you really mean it, then, and if you expect them to be there, you need to pay them. You by law are required to pay your employees anytime they are forced or suffered to work, meaning they are expect you, you schedule them to work or you allow them to work. So technically speaking, if an employee comes into your business and does a bunch of work, without your permission and they say, I need you to pay me because I did that work from a legal standpoint, you might have to pay them And a lot of, now you can terminate them for that, for working when they're not allowed to, but from a legal standpoint, you may be in a position where you are forced to pay them. So make sure that you have everything clearly laid out in your contracts and your employees know what's expected of them. And you know what you expect of your employees. It will make for happier owners and employees across the board. All right. We've been going for a long time. This is probably the longest just Dan talking episode. I'm not even done. So planning what to budget for employee pay is a huge consideration for every business owner. Like it's massive. Uh, if you own a gym and you need help, then this is something that NextGen can absolutely help you determine and budget, track your spending, get a higher return on investment of what you're paying your staff and retain more great staff. It is important to treat your staff well. I have an episode on retaining your staff and I'll do another one. It is so important. If you have great people, you wanna hold on to them. So I agree with the premise of pay your employees what they're worth, show your employees that they're appreciated. There are so many ways to do that. Do not take your advice for what you should pay your employees uh, on how they should be paid from public groups or from your employees directly. You shouldn't be going to them and saying, what should we pay you? They're, they have a um, skewed perspective and they don't know what it's like to own a business. They can't even factor that in. I've heard so many coaches be like, I've run the numbers and I know that they can afford to pay me this. 
Well, it's unlikely you've run the numbers unless you've actually know what all the expenses in the business are. You haven't run the numbers. And to be fair, I work with gym owners who've been in business for five and seven years and they don't truly understand their numbers. So the number of coaches out there that actually do understand the numbers are very few and far between because there is a lot of information that goes into that. Much beyond doing the mathematics and counting, there are this many kids on teams who pay this much a month for tuition and I make this, so therefore I know I could make this. That doesn't factor in any of the other considerations um, of what it takes to run the business. So don't take people who are hypothesizing on what it takes to run a business advice. Take the advice of people who actually know what they're doing and are currently running successful companies, paying employees a fair wage and doing it the right way. So if you want to talk about the real industry standard, though, the real industry uh, standard of cheerleading is one where gym owners take out loans, personally guarantee leases, and get paid between zero and 15 cents an hour. That's the industry standard that I see from the gym owners that I talk to. Are there gym owners out there making money? Yes, there are. Absolutely. There are ones doing it right. But the industry standard across the board, if you were to poll the entire industry, I would say that's the industry standard. Is these gym owners taking massive risk, buying all this equipment, setting all this stuff up, and then paying themselves a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of a dollar? This is the industry standard that absolutely must change. This is actually oftentimes why employees are paid poorly because gym owners are sitting at home rubbing pennies together trying to turn them into dollars and hoping that they can pay for everything they need to pay for and continue to pay their employees gym owners need to know how to run great businesses so they can pay their staff well pay themselves and provide for their program you've got to be able to do that if you want to be able to pay your employees well and just because you have a lot of kids, just because a gym has a lot of kids doesn't mean they run their business well. It absolutely does not. I have talked to businesses who have hundreds of athletes and are hemorrhaging money because sometimes with more athletes comes more costs, oftentimes comes more costs. And if your costs were not set up correctly, you're in a worse way. Like let's say you don't budget correctly and your overage per all-star athlete is $10. Well, if you only have 25 athletes, it's not too bad. You're $250 over. And if it's $250 a month, okay, like you can probably make that work. You can find that in classes or in private lessons or other things. Like you can figure it out. That's if you have that number of athletes. Uh, I, I, that may have been the wrong math, right? And let's say you're, uh, you're over and you have 500 athletes. It's an exponential increase, okay? So you have to factor those things in as you are, as you're looking at a program, you don't know the numbers until you actually truly run the numbers and know the numbers. So because of that, leaving this episode, if you are not a Next Gen Academy member, I want you to calculate two things that are gonna be really interesting to look at. Number one is to determine your percentage of gross revenue that is paying for staff. What percentage of your total revenue goes towards paying for your staff? How you do this is you're going to take your staff costs. You need to include your taxes, everything you pay in terms of payroll. What is it that you pay for staff? And if you have staff that you know 
they have a paid phone or things like that, you should include that as well. What does it take to pay for your staff's costs? And then from there, you're going to divide that by your gross revenue that month. So the month of staff costs divided by the gross revenue is going to give you a percentage. And it's going to tell you the percentage of your gross revenue that's going towards paying for staff. If you are anywhere over 35%, that's a concerning position to be in. It's not world ending. And there are some businesses that run a little bit higher than that. I personally like to see it be 30% or a little bit lower. If you're much beyond that, you're starting to get upside down and too much of your revenue is going towards the staffing and you don't have enough left over for what would logically be expenses. Okay, So you need to calculate that and you need to look at what is coming in. If you're much above 30% and you're if you're above 35%, maybe you aren't fully upside down, but you're definitely not getting a high enough return on investment of what you're already paying those staff members. So number one is calculate that. And number two is I want you to determine you as an owner, what your effective hourly rate is. Okay. So take the total amount of hours that you work in a given week uh, or a given month, and then you're going to divide those hours by what you paid yourself, whether you paid yourself weekly or you pay yourself monthly. And there's a formula for this. So you can just figure out what did you make that month and how many hours of work did how many hours did you work that month? And you can average it out. It doesn't have to be perfect. And that's going to give you your effective hourly rate. So hours worked divided by pay gives you effective hourly rate. You're making X amount of dollars per hour. Um, that needs to be higher than the average employee. You should not be your lowest paid employee. And that is commonly what the situation I see is as a coach. I talk to gym owners who are paying themselves not much and they're paying themselves, you know, a dollar an hour and there isn't a single employee in the world that would work for a dollar an hour. It's just not going to happen. So you need to really factor that in. And I, I, I spoke incorrectly. You need to take the, the dollars, right? Take, you paid yourself $500 for the week. And if you worked 40 hours, that means you got paid. So you divide $500 by 40 and that gives you the dollars per hour. I, I set it backwards because they're, they're flip-flopped when you're finding the percentage for your employee percentage. So if you pay yourself $500 a week and you uh, work 40 hours a week, you're making $12.50 an hour, right? So calculate that so you know what your effective hourly rate is. If you're a NextGen Academy client, uh, we can help you figure this stuff out really easily with the big sheet. So make sure you're connecting with your coach. Uh, if you haven't gone over your big sheet on your calls, we'll take care of that. Uh, but you, you should have gone through it unless you're brand new to the academy, which we have a bunch of new members joining, which is super exciting uh, to see because as we pool all those people together and get to coach up more amazing gym owners, we start to change this industry standard. And I'm excited to see the change in the industry as we start seeing owners become successful and connect their passion to profits and then have that trickle down and make it so in 20 years, we're seeing coaches making a true career coaching without being an owner, without having a side hustle, coaching at a gym and making it their career and advancing up and becoming all-star directors and making a good salary, becoming class directors and making a good salary, becoming team gymnastics directors and making a good salary. Those are things we can change in this industry.
All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It was a little bit of a long one. If you are looking for another great podcast, you've got to check out Jason Larkin's Let's Talk Cheer podcast. It's absolutely fantastic. I listen to every single episode. I love them. Uh, so make sure you're checking those out. He also has some giveaways in there. He's giving away some uh, free staff training. Uh, so some pretty cool stuff. Check out his podcast. It's awesome. And with that, we're going to catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click the link in our description to apply. If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.